Welcome to the TCU Chi Alpha podcast, where we share sermons, interviews, and other resources that encourage and challenge students as they follow Jesus on campus. We were joking before we got up here. So Andrew and I, like what credibility do we have to be on this stage right now? Andrew and I have been married for 10 years, which is crazy. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. We'll take it. And Lydia, how long have you been married? Mm, 13 days. <laughs> so she is killing it. She's basically yeah. a pro. Y'all take, like, she's writing a book at this point. Her and Parker have got it figured out completely. But they did do how many years of dating? Four years. Four years of dating and figuring out what that looked like. Um, part of that before knowing Jesus and part of that after. And so, like, they've navigated a lot of things. So they absolutely have credibility um, and uh, have the ability to speak into this as people that have learned how to hear from Jesus in this area. Um, but we were joking. She was like, I don't feel like I should be up here. I'm like, you should. Y'all should. So Parker has graciously uh, agreed to be our MC, and he is asking the questions that y'all sent in. Cool. And we put everybody's names by all the questions. So anyone <laughs> who sent in, I'll shout you out. I'm just I'm not going to So the first one uh, about faith and relationships is, what is God's purpose for a romantic relationship? Should we date to marry? Should we just date to have fun? What does that look like in a Christian believer? I think that uh, Christian relationships, I think that they should have purpose. So that's the thing that I would say is um, I don't think that like you have to not date if you're like, I don't know 100% if I'm going to marry this chick, so I should never date her. Like that's ridiculous. That's crazy. Um, but I do think we shouldn't just, for, as Christians, we shouldn't just, this process of dating, this process of relationships, romantic relationships, really is taking two lives and like putting them together, like learning how to love each other, learning how to connect, learning how to uh, just be in relationship with one another, both emotionally and, and all these different things. And so I think that with that, we probably should date with purpose or intention. Like, I think I could maybe end up with this person. You know, I respect this person's character. I respect this person's values. They, they agree with me when it comes to faith, and we'll talk more about that um, later. But uh, I do think it should have purpose and intention. Yeah, and so God's purpose of marriage, romantic relationships, when we see early on in Scripture in Genesis that he created male and female, and that um, he brought them together in marriage. It said, he said that it's not good for man to be alone, and uh, in some senses that is true in the sense of uh, male and female, but it also indicates, too, that the, it's another person of his kind, right? So there's this, this idea of, like, not just loneliness if you don't have a partner, but loneliness if there's not another person, right? Um, in the same way that the Lord is Trinity, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship, He developed uh, relationships for us to be able to be in unity. And then in marriage uh, between a man and woman, you have the idea of becoming one flesh and joining lives together. And I'm with you. I don't think that, I mean, I don't know if we have questions about courtship or whatever. I don't think that it has to be you can only date if you're like pursuing marriage, but there is wisdom to, um, yeah, to thinking through why am I dating? <laughs> what is the purpose of that? What is the end, end in mind? Um, and kind of pursue that. But God's, yeah, God's relationship or his established um, thing is marriage between a man and a woman. And uh, we may talk about different things, but just like know that our view is just like what we've learned, what we picked up from scripture, what we uh, believe that the Bible says. And, um, and so that's where we're speaking from tonight on all these topics. So along those same lines, 
kind of like God created Eve for Adam. Did he create a specific person for me? Or maybe created me to be on my own for life? Who knows? But is there a, one specific person that we have to be looking out for, and that's the only one that can, it can be? No pressure. Don't miss it. No, uh, I would say no. Personally, I would say no. I feel like that's way too much pressure, and that puts a lot of pressure on everybody listening to God 100% of their life. So, like, what happens if the guy that was destined for me was running from God in the season that I was supposed to find him? Then I'm just never going to find him. So, I personally kind of see it as more of God has options, and there are people that we could be compatible, and God gives us freedom to choose within a certain set of parameters. So I think there are areas that it's like, hey, this is probably sinful, this is probably wrong, or like y'all aren't even like, hey, you want to go move across the world and do business overseas, and you never want to leave the state of Texas. Y'all probably aren't compatible, right? Like, And so um, I think that God has multiple options within people that are um, like compatible. Yeah, definitely. And I think if we assume that there's only one soulmate for us out there, um, it's expecting perfection out of a broken person um, in any relationship, whether it's a friendship or a marriage. Um, it's two broken, sinful people trying to love each other. And uh, I think if you assume perfection, like you're just gonna get hurt in the end. And God doesn't want that for us, so. I think, too, um, in that regard, one of the things that the church, the world has not done a great job of having a good theology of singleness and, like, what singleness is and what it isn't, and the church has not helped in that. Um, I think that we have sort of turned marriage into kind of a name it and claim it prosperity gospel thing. Like, if you just love Jesus really well, he's going to bring the right person to you, and you guys are going to have a great marriage and a great life in the same way that if you pray really hard and you have faith, you'll get a great car or a great job, and there won't be anything difficult for you. Like, God's, like, his plan is good, but it doesn't keep us from pain. It doesn't keep us from struggle or heartache or whatever. And so what that does is it puts an unrealistic picture of what marriage is and an unrealistic picture of what singleness is. Singleness is not like a bad thing. It's not ungodly to be single. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul, single. Like so many people, so many people that we know in our movement in Chi Alpha and friends that we have, some of the closest family members that Alicia have that, that are just mighty men and women of God, single. It's not a lowered status in the world. Like it is, it's a good thing. And so I believe God calls some of us to live in singleness and celibacy and some of us to live in marriage, but we should celebrate both of those those should be celebrated and they shouldn't be looked down upon. And you shouldn't feel like in a time of singleness that you're less yeah. than another person who's dating or married and vice versa. Like we shouldn't feel like we've arrived just because we're married. Like there, scripture talks about, Paul talks about just the, the kingdom impact that you can have as a single person. That's why he chose to live single and encouraged some people to live single. Um, and then he also instructed some people should get married. And so there's a broader option than what has been offered. And I think the church actually very often has hurt people by not having a more robust theology around what singleness is and how beautiful it can be. So whenever I decide to start dating someone or start pursuing a relationship, and maybe that person is either not a Christian or maybe not as close to God as I am, um, do I 
do we have to be in the same place in our walk with Jesus to start dating, or do we even have to have the same belief system to date? Flirt to convert. <laughs> no, don't do that. It just rhymes. <laughs> don't do that. I would say um, the whole idea of dating, you will get attached to this person emotionally. You will become closer and closer friends with this person. You are going to learn to care about this person. Um, and so I would say that you and there are some people that say, like, you can date, no strings attached, or you can hook up, no strings attached. And I would argue that that's not 100% true. Like, now, if you go on one date with someone, are you, like, you know, totally torn up forever because y'all y'all didn't end up going out for a long term? No. But I do think, like, that it's risky to me to begin a relationship where your values are so vastly different. The reality is Christianity's values are so different from culture's values. Um, we, if we're following scripture and we're looking at what Jesus has instructed us to do in our lives, our lives as Christians should look different from the people around us. And, um, and I think if your life doesn't look different from the people around us, you that maybe you're not reading um, you're not allowing scripture to be applied to your life in the way that Jesus would want you to. And so I would say that um, you're going to have a really hard time having a very good and robust marriage with someone that potentially has very different views on the world than you. Um, so I would say you really should have similar values. You should have a similar faith. You should both be Christians. And if you are very passionate in your faith, I would say it's you're setting yourself up for potential heartbreak to date someone that's not very serious about their faith. Um, because these things that seem small right now, when you're one month in, one week into dating, even six months into dating, as you go through your life, you guys are kind of pointed on different trajectories, okay? And at the age of 19, it doesn't feel that far apart. But after an entire decade of walking towards Jesus and then an entire decade of walking in whatever you feel is best, y'all are going to be in vastly different places. Because every small decision shapes your life. Every small decision takes you one step in a direction. And if you're heading towards Jesus, it's going to take you in a very different direction than the people around you. So I would say that if you're seriously considering dating someone, you should have similar values and a similar level of commitment to Christianity even. Um, so like if you are reading the Bible every single day and you're running your whole life through the filter of scripture and saying like, I'm going to make every decision based on what I'm reading in scripture to the best of my ability, right? And then this person is like, yeah, I've been to church a couple times in my life. Like y'all's lives are going to end up very differently in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So if you intend to stay in a marriage that lasts, it's going to be hard to do that and have different values. Yeah, this is a passage that if you've grown up in church or a church like I grew up in, you've probably heard this a million times. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Okay, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Now, what's funny about this is like me listening to it as a kid, a rebellious teenager, I was like, okay, but I know the context of that passage. And what he's talking about is business interactions, right? Not marriage relationships or dating relationships, but the principle still applies, right? It says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Don't join your life with someone um, who doesn't share the same values as you. And, and I think that we get to a place like our culture uh, really values 
not offending or being like allowing other people to have their own view and us having our own view, and that's okay. Um, and, and it's not really like if, if you want to date someone who's an unbeliever, the question isn't like, can you respect them and love them if, if they believe differently? Absolutely. I hope we can all do that as Christians, right? Can they do the same? Absolutely. But the question is, do you love and respect your beliefs enough <laughs> and what God's asked us to do enough to actually uh, use wisdom there and not join our lives with someone who's not a believer? And then, and then the next thing is that I grew up with as well is I was able to come up with seven different um, examples of people that dated someone who weren't a Christian, wasn't a Christian, and then look at that the guy turned out to be a pastor in the end, right? Like, and I hung on to those. And I remember people telling me, like, for every single story that you have that went well, there's a dozen others that did not go so well. And uh, at the time, I was just like, whatever, you're dumb. But over time, I found that to actually be the case, is that for every story where God, you know, like really worked and moved, we have other stories that it, it didn't happen. And there was pain and there was brokenness as a result of that. And, um, and so that idea of flirt to convert or missionary dating or whatever, it's, it's, you can do it. It's just dangerous in the sense of what it could do to you, what it could do to the other person. What is the like, number one reason that people that are not Christians don't want to become Christians? Because Christians are what? Hypocrites? Did you say hypocrites? Right? That's what people that are not in the church would say. I don't want to become a Christian because Christians are hypocrites. They say they believe one thing and they do something else. What are we doing when we're dating someone who's not a believer? We say we believe one thing, that this idea of being unequally yoked, right? But we actually do something else. And if we really care about this other person, if we really love this other person, genuine affection for this person, we should want them to be a Christian if we're a Christian, right? We should desire that. We should want that. But, but when we're not acting like one, right? Like, what, is that, what does that look like? And what, what message are we sending to someone who's not a believer that we don't care enough about our beliefs to actually, therefore our actions to align with what scripture says. And so we're actually undermining the very gospel that we're hoping to convince them of, right? Hopefully through that flirt to convert thing. So hopefully that's helpful. And I would just add one short thing is there's pain today or there's pain tomorrow. Some of you guys might be like evaluating a relationship and you're like, man, but I'm dating someone that I'm realizing maybe we're not on the same page. And I would say sometimes we put off pain tomorrow because we don't want to feel pain today. And I would say, it's gonna be, it's gonna hurt worse down the road. Like if you're feeling that maybe something needs to change, uh, just don't put it off because it just gets harder with time. So. So now that I've found my perfect soulmate and we are exactly perfectly yoked together. <laughs> what Nailed does it, it look like to make God the true foundation of that relationship? How do I walk that out? That's good. I think if you want your relationship to have a foundation of Jesus, you have to have a foundation of Jesus in your own life first. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it's something that we can blow right past when we meet someone that we really like, um, which I've personally experienced. But um, if you want Jesus as a foundation in a relationship, it has to be something that you're living out first on your own. Just like anything, like they always say, like, take care of yourself before you can take care of someone else. Or if the plane goes down, put your mask on first before you help the child. The same thing in a relationship. If you want that foundation of Jesus 
start first with your personal foundation with Jesus of maybe spending some time in prayer every day, maybe reading some scripture every day, getting to know God more and more. And then once you find a person who does the same things, you're both already on the same page of putting Jesus in that relationship. I think this sort of maybe in some ways ties into the soulmate thing, but like a lot of times we're looking for someone to complete us. Like, oh, you complete me or I complete you or whatever. Scripture doesn't teach that we're incomplete until we find a spouse. <laughs> like it's just, or someone that like, in fact, if we are incomplete, uh, Scripture teaches, in, at least in the NLT, Colossians 2.10 says you're, you're complete in your union with Christ. If we come into a relationship expecting another person to complete us, uh, that's going to be a problem because they will let us down. I will let her down. She lets me down, right? And so um, Both directions. the only reason that she and I work and have worked for 10 years is because we've allowed Jesus to shape our character and to change our hearts and to change our lives. And in the areas where I have wanted her to be something that she's not capable of being, like I've idolized her in some way, I've had to take that to the Lord and say, God, what about what's going on in this relationship, the, the pain that I have or the frustrations that I have, what about this is something that I actually you want to change in me? And without a relationship with him and, and pursuing him and knowing him and him being first, uh, it just does not it doesn't work. And I've seen it over and over. Even Christian people that have stopped submitting to Jesus, have stopped growing in relationship with Jesus, and now they're expecting their partner to kind of fill that role or complete that role. It's just, it gets ugly and it's hard and there's a lot of pain involved in that. And so practically, I do think the devotional life is huge. I think dating and community is huge. Having people in your lives that are, that are seeing this other person, seeing how they live, seeing, like, are they submitted to spiritual authority? Are they submitted to the Word? Are there people in their lives that can say, like, dude, you're being dumb? Like, I have friends that will see the way I interact with Alicia and be like, what are you doing, man? You're being kind of a jerk right now, right? She has people in her life that she'll talk to, and they're like, but you're wrong, girl. Like, that's not what the Bible says. Like, that community piece is huge for us to stay rooted in Jesus, being in a, in a church, being in, in a ministry, just like con- continuing to pursue the Lord is big. And then having, you know, which I think we'll get to, but just boundaries, like physical boundaries, when it comes to dating anyway, like keeping Jesus, like don't sin together. That would be a good way to keep Jesus sinner. It's like, don't uh, betray your convictions. Um, also. Yeah. And then just talk about it too. So like just one, the other practical thing is like, if you would talk about it with, in, in your life group with your guys, um, talk about it with the girl you're dating. If you would talk about it as you're hanging out after going to Chi Alpha, like talk to them about it. And so don't compartmentalize your life. Uh, so if God is a part of one piece of your life, but he's not a part of this other piece over here, that's a problem. Um, so I think just be who you are in all contexts and just talk about faith with that person. It may feel weird at first, um, but it's good for you and it's good for both of you to find out quickly okay, are we on the same page? Are you even willing to talk about it? Can I just say one more thing about this? A lot of times when people are sold out to Jesus, right, and they get with another person that's like sold out to Jesus, they want to immediately start like doing devotions together and praying together and like really doing that. I would caution that, okay? 
I think when you start to move towards like engagement, marriage, maybe that, that can begin. But like if, if the Lord wants, wants you to not date this person or, or whatever, like he needs, he kind of needs our undivided attention, right? And so when you begin to join those things, if you have a good time in the devotion or you have a good time in prayer, you might assume that that's connected to that person when really it was just connecting with the Lord. So just make sure that it doesn't have to be all separate, but make sure that you are getting with God alone also so that the Holy, Holy Spirit can speak to you through, um, through his word, through prayer, and that you're not assuming that this other person is, is kind of tied to that. So I think, especially in the world today, there's a belief that godly relationships can be boring or stale and maybe lack chemistry and like sin is fun and anything outside of that is, is boring and you're just going to sit there and hold hands and nothing else. So can a God-honoring relationship be fun? I mean, I'm having fun, Same. but Same. <laughs> I'm too. You know what's not fun? Seven and a half years of regrets of me coming to know Jesus after two long-term relationships that at the time I would have said were fun. Um, but looking back and seeing how much I broke the Lord's heart with the way that I acted, with the way that I did things like that wasn't fun. Scripture teaches sin is pleasurable for a season, but we've talked about it all semester. It does lead to brokenness. <laughs> and so at the other end of that, there is pain. And uh, even to this day, I know I'm forgiven. I know that, um, that there's grace for the things that I've done, but there are still times that I'm reminded of like, man, I love the Lord now, but I really, I really broke his heart. And I really was a bad example to these girls that I joined my life with for, for a long time. And, uh, I, you know, it's not boring. It's, it's a ton of fun to do good things God's way if we love and we have fun with the things of God. Like if we love the world, then it's not. If we love things that are not of God, then maybe it won't be. But then, like, we don't love God. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of a moot point, I guess. Yeah, and I think, too, like, you can have fun as a Christian. Like, the Christian life should be fun. It should be life-giving. It should be laughter. Like, I mean, y'all were, were saying how much, like, it's so fun being married because we laugh all the time. Like, we're always joking, and now we get to just joke all the time. And same thing with us. It's like the inside jokes. Like, you grow in intimacy relationally with someone the fun is naturally going to follow. Like, um, chemistry is not solely based on sex or on physical physical things. Like, chemistry is relational as well. Um, and so, yeah, it can 100% be fun. Just to dip our toe into the physical aspect of it before going all the way in, <laughs> how much <laughs> the different attributes that people are looking for, whether it's similar, similarly yoked or being smart, being funny, that sort of thing. Does God really care about the physical attraction or the physical appearance of somebody I want to date? Like, does he value, like, the other things and the person is fugly, but, like, I can't deal with them because, you know? Right. I mean, we've all thought it. We've all wondered, right? Like, can, can you be? What would you say? Yeah, I would say that um, the Lord created you, and he knows your heart, and he knows what you find attractive yeah, like the, the God's a good God and he gives good gifts. Um, and also going back to there's not one soulmate out there for you. Um, so, yeah, I th say 
God does care about if you're also physically attracted to someone. Um, I don't think that's the only thing he cares about, but it's okay to have that as your part of your checklist. I guess it's not dishonoring to God. Yeah, and the only thing that I would add, and he gets like he's like, you always tell people you didn't even think I was cute before we got together, and I'm like, it's true, I do. But here's the reason: is that uh, I would say that in my brain, as a girl, I had watched enough chick flicks and I had read enough books that I had this ideal image of what I expected my future person to look like and act like and be. And the only thing that I would say is like, in a world of online dating where all you're looking at is a picture, um, I would caution you to give people a chance to be attractive to you. Um, I think that sometimes, so I'm, I am 10 years married. I have a lot of friends that are married similar amounts of time. And I will say there has never been a time that one of my friends that's struggling in her marriage has come to me and it's been like, his six pack abs are gone and we're really struggling. You know what I mean? And that's like a joke, but it's so true um, that what you want in a marriage is character. And what a lot of times we look for in, a, in dating is a physical attribute. And so I would just say, maybe you're like, they're not my type. Well, Andrew was not my type. He was a punk rocker. He wore like Dickies and punk band shirts all the time. And I just looked at him and was like, no, no, I'm supposed to be with this type of guy. And God knew exactly what I needed. Because had I married the person that I thought I wanted, I would have been miserable. Like it really would have been different. And so I would, that's the only thing I would say is like, I am 100%, I love you now, babe. I'm so attracted to you now. Even I just texted him the other day, I was like, you're so handsome. Um, but really, honestly, like physical attraction is important. And if you're, if you have zero chemistry with the person you're dating, after multiple dates, you should probably call it off. Like you should have physical chemistry. Um, but I would say just make sure it's in the right priority. So I, I have three things. One, the beauty standards that we are faced with in our world are unrealistic and fake. And so um, everybody gets saggy eventually, right? Without surgery, everybody gets wrinkly eventually, right? Like everyone ages, that's reality. Okay, but that's not what we're faced with. And so our and, and then around around here, college campus, right? Like you're just you're confronted with not in a bad way, but just like a ton of attractive people that if you drove just a couple of miles away from here, it would not look like this. And so understand that like your idea of what beauty is, of what men and women look like and what they're supposed to look like is shaped by culture and shaped by what you're surrounded by. That's not right or wrong or whatever, it's just reality. Okay, first of all. Second of all, what do you find attractive if you're someone who loves Jesus more than anything? I remember noticing Alicia not because she had everything hanging out, it was because she was modest. And I wanted someone, I wanted to, to date someone and be with someone who actually was not trying to, I guess, tempt or attract guys. And I'm not putting that on, uh, on women at all. Uh, guys should keep their eyes where they're supposed to be. We're responsible for the feelings that we feel and the things that we love. Like, the responsibility is on men. But I also looked for someone who seemed to, to care about modesty and that kind of thing. And that's what I was attracted to. And so that's what I ended up, you know, pursuing. Um, and so what is it that you find attractive? Let God actually shape and change and, and set the tone for what you find attractive. And he also made us and wired us. And so there are certain things that we will find attractive. And so lastly, if you throw up in your mouth a little bit every time you think about being with this person or being close enough to kiss them, then don't date them. 
It doesn't matter how godly they are. If you think about on your wedding night, that's the last person I want to be with. That is not the person just, that you fine. should date, just right? Just cut ties. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, don't. And so, like, <laughs> seriously, like, so it doesn't, you know, that whole idea of pursuing godliness doesn't mean you have to marry a troll. Um, God did make you, and he wants good things for you, um, but it needs to be realistic, and it needs to be set by him and not by a screen, you know? So the elephant in the room being sex, it's celebrated pretty heavily in the secular world and also in the church celebrated after marriage as something that God created. But as God is creating it, what was his intention for sex? Was it just for making babies or is it something more than that? <laughs> just for making babies. That is a cool part of it. I have three of them. They're awesome. And uh, the Bible says that children are a blessing, blessing from the Lord. And um, most of the time, I feel like they are. Um, but this is kind of like a question like, um, why does sugar that God created taste good on my tongue? You know what I mean? Like, why does it, or why is it like fun, but not for everyone, but to like ride a roller coaster, the feeling that we get? Or why is it like when we laugh, I hate it. I hate like it. Well, how do we have the capacity to laugh at a joke and like enjoy that and our body actually responds physically to laughter? Like we release endorphins, that kind of thing. God made us, made all of us, and he made sex to feel good. He made our body parts to experience pleasure. And so it's not just for procreation, just in the same sense that like sugar isn't just for, I don't know, bees to fly around and making honey, but like ice cream tastes delicious. Like we're wired for that, right? Jokes are funny and we, and, and like we enjoy laughter. We're wired for that. Sex is good, and it feels good. We're wired for that. But just like an, a, a poorly timed joke or a mean-spirited joke can be funny for some people and devastating to others, outside of the context of marriage and outside of the context of God's way, sex is, can be destructive and painful. Mm -hmm. And I will say, too, like, sex was intended to be a mingling of souls like that's what it says in scripture like to become one flesh and it's not just talking like anatomically it is talking emotionally and all of that and so sex within the context of marriage was intended to bond you it is intended to be an accelerant of bonding an accelerant of intimacy and all these things and so outside of marriage it creates a false sense of intimacy that you can't actually back up and so i think that god god did he he could have made it just literally like doing the deed get someone pregnant move on he made it fun on purpose he intended for it to be a fun and good thing um but i will say he also intended it to be in the context of marriage like this uniting thing um so like it's the whole thing of like, you don't want to hear your parents are having sex, right? So I'm sorry if this like stresses you out. But um, we were like, I can tell we start fighting when we haven't had sex enough. Like there will be times that I'm like, we are just fighting about everything. And I'm like, oh, it's been too long. Like, and so God intended for this thing to be, sorry guys, I was like, oh, yeah, it's okay. We do, we have three kids. You should have known that we are. We've done it at least three yeah. times. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, so I think too, it's like, it is a good thing. Uh, and God intended for it to be good, and God intended for it to be a relational and mingling of souls as well as bodies. And so um, I think that he created for those two purposes. So. Anything you would add? You don't have yeah. to add anything. I think that's good. Okay. I'll answer one of the other There's ones. more questions around sex. 
There's another so there chance. There is for you. the procreation aspect of it, but there's a whole myriad of different things um, around sex and physical attraction that can happen when you're in a relationship. So, to what extent is sexual behavior a sin, and what sexual behavior is considered a sin? Ooh, that's good. Um, well, Jesus <laughs> says that even if your eyes look at someone with lust, you have committed adultery, um, which is a hard pill to swallow. Um, but I think we start getting into really, really dangerous territory when we try ourselves to define what sex is, especially because there are so many different sexual things that you can do that aren't how a baby's made. Yeah. Um, so I think we have to truly and honestly ask ourselves, is this action putting lust in my heart? And how is that an honoring to the person that I'm doing it with? And is it honoring to God? Because you can start doing a lot of stuff that isn't sex, but um, you're still creating bonds. You're still creating intimacy with that other person. And it's hard to think about like, oh, these things that I didn't define as sex in my past. Okay, well now I'm married. Like how am I gonna tell that to my husband? And that is not to put guilt or shame on anyone. It's just a reality of when we break God's laws, we feel broken against it. And even though maybe I didn't break a penetration or whatever you want to call it, like we'll be open, we'll be honest, but oh, well, I still feel broken. I still broke myself against something. So, hmm, that, that was probably a sin then. Yeah. I think that in the context of, of uh, sexuality and things like that, if it is, if doing this thing, whatever that thing is for you and this person that you're um, dating, is causing you to want to do something that according to God's laws you shouldn't be doing right now, then that's a line that you shouldn't be crossing. So lust is this idea of wanting something now that you shouldn't have now according to what God's given you or that is not right for this moment. Um, and so that to me, and even that uh, I heard it, or we read it in a book one time that said like, okay, what can you, your words and your, and your actions should line up in terms of what you can follow through with. It's like if you can't marry this girl that you're dating, you shouldn't be talking to her about the day that you're married and have kids because your actions cannot line up with your words in this moment. And I think the same thing happens with physical. So like if you can't if you can't physically provide like be in her life when it comes to sexuality and things like that um, in this moment according to God's laws then you shouldn't be provoking her or him to that point. So your your commitment level and all of that should all align to where you actually are today. So whether that's with your body, whether that's with your words, whether that's with your emotions, keep those all in today and don't give something that you can't follow through with. Last thing, as a theology nerd, what does the Bible say about sexual sin? Flee from sexual sin. It says run. That is, not the, that is like the opposite of how far can I go? 
right? How fast can I drive technically over university in the rain and not kill someone? Maybe 45, maybe 50. Should I do that? No, that's a bad idea, right? Like, what is the line? I don't know. Why, why do we need to get as close as possible to it? Like, let's do what the Bible says and flee um, from youthful lust, flee from sexual sin. And know that if marriage is where you end up, there will be a day you don't have to do any of this. This is just in the context of when you're not married, okay? So I will say, on the flip side, we don't talk enough in the church about the fact that once you get married, you should be doing it often. You should be doing all the things. Like, that there, this is for the season that God has not intended for you to be married and acting in this way, so. So if we're one of the people, um, and I'll point a finger at myself, that it did something outside of God's laws already, um, what would be the point of just stopping that cold turkey? I've already done the sin. Why is it important to stop doing the sin if, it, if I've already done it? Let's take it to the absolute extreme. What's the point of not murdering a second person if you've already murdered one person? Because it's wrong. <laughs> and you're hurting someone else, you're hurting yourself. I know that's extreme, but like that's what sin is, right? It's, it's, it's a violation of God's law. And, and what Scripture says that if you have repented of that sin, if you've confessed that, if you've repented, that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone and the new has come, right? Scripture teaches that our sins, when, when God forgives us, our sin is as far as the east is from the west, that he chooses not to remember our sin, right? And so, like, let's not cheapen the grace of God. Like, if, if, we, if we've done that um, and we've been, when we repent of that, we walk away from that, like, we are, we are whole and, and holy before God. And so, to continue in it, is to not actually walk in repentance and actually live in consistent sin, which is living outside of relationship with God. I think the only thing I would add is if you are in that boat, um, talk to somebody because there's a lot of, it's hard to walk through. It's hard to just cold turkey. <laughs> like, okay, we were having sex last week and now I'm feeling convicted about it. So I'm just going to cold turkey stop. That's hard to do. Um, it's possible. And like there, we know many people who've walked in that. Um, but I will say like, talk to somebody and, and they can help give you some strategies around that. But also like, if you truly are repentant, there's grace upon grace upon grace. Like God, there's no sin that's too big for God that he's like, you know, that one, I just can't forgive it. And so some of you might be walking around in condemnation about something you did years ago, about something you did last week, this weekend, whatever. I just want to say there's grace for that in repentance, meaning there's grace when you say, I'm actually going to turn from that and not do it anymore. God forgives and he forgets and he can move on. So I just wanted to say that for sure. In fleeing from that sexual sin, I think there are some different strategies you can use, one of the most effective being boundaries. So what are boundaries and how do I go about setting the correct ones? So a minute ago I mentioned the car driving along the road. Like you guys have seen guardrails, right, on the road. That's to keep, it's not to keep you from going off the cliff, right, because if you go fast enough you'll go off. But <laughs> It's to try to keep you from it, right? Like it's to try to protect you from the cliff if you lose control or whatever. And so the way that we kind of thought about boundaries was kind of in, in the, at least I did when Alicia and I started dating of the idea of guardrails. So here's, here's the boundary, right? The sin, right? The, that whatever that would be for us, like, hey, there's the sin. Let's set up the boundary of like what we're gonna do and what we will participate in way further this way on the, 
this side of sin so that if we hit that boundary or we hit that guardrail, that's a warning sign for us that, hey, we're moving into a place of sin. I meant to share this in the Freedom for Sin sermon, but I forgot to. Um, you guys already heard, like, I, I, I lost my virginity when I was 16 years old, um, lived for many, many years in, in a couple of relationships um, that we were just fully sleeping together, that, that kind of stuff. Whenever I finally got right with God, I um, really felt convicted after about a year of just being single and um, enjoying that, and, but also I had it in my heart that I would, I'd love to have a wife someday. I, uh, I really sensed that God was telling me to not kiss until my wedding day, like not kiss my future wife until my wedding day. Now, some of you guys are looking at me like I'm insane, and it did feel kind of crazy. Um, and, but what... Even for me. Yeah, I, re- I remember telling her, like, when we first started dating. And I laughed. I was like, ah! And he's like, no, I'm serious. I was like, oh, yeah. okay. And so some people have looked at that and been like, oh, man, Andrew, you're so holy. And th- the reality is, it's like, no, I'm not holy. Like, my normal pattern in life for many, many years was, as soon as you start making out, man, let's, like, the train's going. Like, we're going for it. And, like, that was the pattern that I established over year and year and year. And so my heart was, I want to honor whoever my future wife is going to be. And as we, Alicia and I were dating, and I'm praying, like, God, is this the one, like, that we should be together? Or if we shouldn't, I wanted to be able to walk out of that relationship if we weren't going to be together, having honored this other person. And like having not brought her into sin, right? And uh, and I just I wanted to honor God, and so that was a that was a boundary for uh, for me, uh, for and then be, became for us, so that I just knew like the pattern that I established as holy as I was, it was just the way on the other side of sin, so that whenever we got close to that, it was like a warning light for us to like slow down, pull over, leave that kind of stuff. Now that's like pretty extreme, okay? But Jesus says like. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? Your right eye, even your good eye causes you to sin, cut it off. That was what I needed to do to keep from sinning. I don't know what that is for you. I'm not going to say, I'm going to prescribe don't kiss until your wedding day for any of you. But it's just that idea of like, what, what boundary do I need to set up between you and the Lord and, and the person you're dating? Um, what do we need to do to keep from walking in sin. So a lot of the, some of the other practical stuff we did was like we hung out in groups a lot. We didn't spend a lot of time alone together for the eight, um, 18 months. No, At least months. not alone in an apartment or a house. That was dangerous territory for us. So it was like, okay, we can be alone at a restaurant or alone in a park or something like that. But uh, we tried to not be alone in an apartment where we knew no one would walk in. So we would like Kimber, who's on staff with us as well, was our was my roommate. And I'd be like, please walk in on us. Like, please walk in when we're in the living room together late at night. Um, another one, I'll just list off some practical ones that we did. Um, another one was curfew of time. So, like, as you get tired, it's a lot harder to hold your boundaries because you're tired. You're, it's, it's like, like what was it? One of us said it's the same level as being drunk or something like that. It was, yeah, so like, you basically you're inebriated when you're tired as well. Like, and so, um, for me late at night was a bad idea. So we also tried to not ever be like spooning on the couch in the dark. Like, okay, where do your hands go when you're spooning on a couch? Maybe y'all are holier than us, but it's, it was a struggle. Like, and so I think just kind of, there were some lines that we had of like at a, at 10, I think it was 11, 10 or 11, um, 
we would just part ways and say goodnight. Um, we tried to not be, we tried to stay vertical, not horizontal as often as possible of like, we're gonna try and not lay down and spoon together because that just invites things for us. Uh, obviously we didn't kiss. Um, I've heard of other people that may, maybe they were out later, but they had like a touch curfew of like, hey, if we're out until midnight, our touch curfew is at like 10 or 11, meaning if we're out until midnight, we're not gonna kiss goodnight because we know we're tired at that point. Um, and then, uh, are there any other ones that yeah, you can What's some of? stuff that you guys did during engagement? And dating? I moved eight hours away. <laughs> <laughs> it worked Honestly, out well. Though, yeah. <laughs> I think the most important thing about boundaries is talking about your boundaries because if you assume, you assume wrong. Even if you're equally yoked and you both love Jesus and you're just not, probably not on the same page. So even though, especially early on in a relationship, it could be kind of awkward just do it. It'll it'll save the hurt. And it's so much easier to set the boundary beforehand than be like, huh, we've crossed a lot of boundaries. I wonder if maybe we should start backing up now. Like, it's just harder. It's not impossible, but it's hard. I think too, like for for us, I've verbalized what our boundaries were with friends and people that we were around. So I mean, early on I'd go to I'd go to work like on a Monday morning and everybody at work would be like so did you kiss her? Did you break it? <laughs> and there was some accountability in that of like, I'm not walking in here eight months in, you know, like saying, yeah, I, I goofed. Like, no, you know, so it was, and then our friends and that kind of thing, they knew what our boundaries were. And so we might get a text if it was 1115. I'm like, you're not home, girl. What's going on? You know, like we, there were other people in our lives that knew what, we expressed them together. I think that's super wise to set the, what the boundaries are and then let other people know too. I think in dating, if you find someone and just totally abandon all your friends, like, dude, those people love you. Mm -hmm. They've been hanging out with you. They care about you. Like, don't separate yourself from the people that already, like, shown that they care about you, love you, want, uh, care about, like, what's good, best for you in order to just, like, go date somebody, but, like, invite them into your life. Invite yourself into their friends' lives. Like, don't go create this little dating life apart from people but like the people that know you and love you the 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 most are going to be the ones that are going to be able to say like hey i'm not so sure that person's good for you <laughs> i don't like the way they talk to you have you noticed that they do this or that or they'll be like man she's awesome better hang on to her you know like that kind of stuff you want people in your life that are giving you wisdom on both sides two final questions here to wrap up but um when we're a little further along in a relationship and we can tell that we really care about the person. We want it to be a more serious relationship with a lot of physical things off the table. How do you build intimacy with that person and make things more serious, but without doing anything um, that would be physically a sin? So intimacy, really, I think we've like created this like perception of intimacy being like physical and sexual only, but intimacy is just closeness. That's right? what guys think. What? It's just physical. <laughs> oh, no. It's like... That's what girls think too, I think. I think we think that that's what it means. But like intimacy, I feel like is intimacy just means like a familiarity and a closeness. And, um, and so that can look like um, relationally. And I will say, you know, like girls are a lot more like, oh, 
when we fantasize about a future relationship, we think about these cute dates and like these great conversations and cuddling and guys are more not that way. Um, and so I think just as a whole, stereotyping both sides here, both sides, girls and guys. Um, but I think that, uh, I think that intimacy, the beauty of physical intimacy is when it's built upon relational and emotional intimacy, it's richer. So like, um, once you're married, it's, like when you're fighting, it's a lot harder to be like, hey, let's get it on. Because it's like emotionally, y'all are off and you're disjointed. Physical intimacy was meant to be like the icing on the cake of relational and emotional intimacy. And so build, use this season to build relational and emotional intimacy, meaning, hey, talk about Talk about your day. Talk about the things that are going on. Dream together. Uh, talk about your struggles. Work through the things that are conflicts. Whereas, like, when you're physically intimate and you're, like, you're fighting, it's easy to be like, let's just pretend like we're not fighting and make out on the couch for two hours. You can't do that when you're not making out for hours at a time. Like, if that's your boundary, you have to actually talk through it. So use the season of dating to get on the same page, to grow in familiarity, to get, um, to understand deeply each other's convictions, not even just Christian convictions, but like our views on money were totally different um, on generosity and giving and things like that. And so we used our dating season to grow an understanding around like, wait, explain to me what you mean by that, you know? Um, so I think that use this season, if, if this is the person you're going to end up with, if you cultivate relational and emotional intimacy during this season when you can do that, your sex life is going to be amazing when you're married. It's going to be so much better. Um, so do the things you can do in this season is what I would say. And then last one here, uh, taking, taking a step back. It, as a believer, is it possible to um, build friendships and friendship relationships with the opposite sex, or do we have to stay in our junior high dance mode all the time without worrying about falling into dating with somebody or thinking that we're going to lead them on? Yeah. This was a this was an interesting thing for me. After coming out of the relationship, the the relationship I was in before meeting Alicia, year before meeting Alicia, I realized God showed me you don't know how to be friends with women and not want to sleep with them. It was like, that was always, like, I had, I didn't have a lot of female friends, and the people that I had pursued friendship with, I was also trying to date. And so God was showing me, like, you need to learn what it looks like to have a sister in, in the faith, uh, a friendship with someone of the opposite sex. And I mean, I hate admitting that, but that really was where I was at. And so that year was, um, was such a cool year, like meeting some friends that are still friends to this day and just learning how to have fun and be friends with people of the opposite sex and not pursuing physical intimacy and not trying to seem attractive to them, but just to enjoy one another's company. So I think it's possible. And I think it's actually really beautiful and it's a gift in the kingdom of God. And, uh, it's really special. Like, so we even to this day, we have friends that they're married, you know, like, and we're married, but like, I'm friends with Lindsay White, you know, like, I'm friends with uh, Della Chris. Like, I'm friends with these people, and I don't want to sleep with them, but, and they're not dangerous to me, and I'm not dangerous to them, but it's, it's really special. It's a precious gift. But when it comes to dating, I think that like, we also get to the place where I do think. 
we need to express, like define the relationship. I think it's sometimes that people can feel led on or that kind of thing. You want to talk about that? I think that the, what I would add is like, um, if you would, if you're only doing it for one guy, then you're not treating them like a friend. You're treating them like someone you're dating. So, for example, if there are two girls that you hang out with in a group, but one of them you are like, oh, I'm giving you a different level of attention than this other one. Or So I think that make sure that that is equal and check your heart if you're like, no, actually, I think I do like this guy and I'm treating him differently. Don't lead him on. Like realize about yourself that you're leading him on by talking to him differently, by leaning closer, whatever it looks like. Um, so I think keep that in check of like, are you pursuing deeper intimacy with one person, deeper friendship with one person than others? Okay, then you actually might be giving the signal that you're dating them. Also, if you're, let's say you, your future husband or wife was sitting right beside you, as you're interacting with this person, would they be uncomfortable? Or would they be you know, like, would they be picking up on cues? Um, then I think that's that was a litmus test that I kind of used of like, hey, if, you know, if my future husband was sitting right here and I'm one-on-one in a dorm by myself at midnight with this guy that I'm totally into, if I would be honest with myself, um, then maybe, like, Andrew would have been uncomfortable being in that room. Um, and so that was an easy test for me to kind of evaluate that. And then I think just be clear and know that, like, in college, people are going to have crushes on you that you didn't intend, so learn from them. I think that would be the only thing that I would add to it, too, is, like, learn from it. Like, if if I was a shameless flirt, I flirted with everybody, and I was emotionally leading guys on all the time. I was terrible. Um, and so... I looked back, though, and in college, I began to learn and change as a result of those guys that were like, oh, my gosh, I totally led you on, and that was mean. Like, I shouldn't have led you on like that because I didn't intend to date you, but I was flirting with you like crazy. So I had to learn to change the way that I interacted with guys. Um, and so I think just learn from it. There will be times that it's like, oh, maybe you actually didn't do anything wrong. You didn't flirt. You didn't lead him on, and yet he still had a crush on you or he still asked you out. Like, then learn from it and figure out how to kind of treat people differently to where you're not leading them on. And also know that like, this is a season where you are around attractive people, your own age, like you're gonna have crushes on each other and that's okay, just handle it well. So like if, if you accidentally led someone on, apologize for it, be like, hey, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have, I, I feel like I led you on and that was wrong of me. Um, so just own up to it uh, and know that we're all learning and growing, um, but just kind of have those tests of like, am I, am I treating her different? Am I treating him different? Um, am I flirting shamelessly? Like, we can talk without flirting. So as we close here, are there any final uh, tidbits or pieces of advice or words of encouragement you have uh, as, as we get out of here? I think it takes a lot to undo what we've learned from movies and culture and friends and family and all of that. Like, it, it takes time and it takes practice to undo what we've seen. Um, and so... Give yourself grace to know that you're learning in this, but also talk to people about it. Like, all of us are open books. Um, we're not scared to talk about sexuality. We're not scared to talk about, like, any of these relationships. Like, pick our brains. Um, and there will be seasons that you're like, you know, I don't really care about that right now. And then there are other seasons that you're like, I actually have a ton of questions. Like, talk to us in the moments that you have questions um, and just know that it's a learning process and it was for each of us. Um, all four of us up here had seasons of like doing it well, 
relationships with the opposite sex and we had seasons of doing it poorly uh, to different degrees in different ways, but like we all struggled through it. So um, none of us were just like, got it, we're great. So just talk to people. Yeah, I was gonna say talk to people too. But like, I think one of the reasons why we wanted to do this panel was to make it kind of like a little more casual. I know it's not a discussion because we're talking to y'all, but it shouldn't be like so taboo in the church to say that S word, like, <laughs> like, no, just talk about it because what the enemy wants from us is to not talk about it because then we can start making up stuff in our own minds. Then he can start telling us lies about ourselves and about the person that we're dating. Um, and it just gets so messy. Like the Lord wants us to be in community and he wants us to talk about it. So maybe not with everybody, but with someone that you trust, your life group leader, things like that. Just, yeah, be open. Yeah, I just feel like this is the Lord. God loves you. He loves you so much. He gave his son, I know this sounds cliche, but he, he loves you as a plan for your life. He gave his son Jesus so that you could be in relationship with him. Your relationship with God is so much more important than any other relationship that you could ever have or pursue or whatever. It is the foundation on which good relationships are built is a relationship with Jesus. It's the only way it works. And um, he's a good shepherd. John 10 says it, that my sheep, Jesus says, my sheep will know my voice and they will follow me. They won't follow a stranger. And I've just meditated on that so much this semester that he wants to lead you. He wants to guide you in this. He wants to speak to you. Like we want to talk to you, but God wants to talk to you more than we do. He wants to engage with you about this. He wants to lead you in this area. And I've found him to be faithful in my life. And that doesn't mean everything's gone perfectly, but it means that he's been faithful and he's been with me in that. And he wants to be with you too. In singleness, in dating, in engagement, in marriage, all of those moments, he wants to be with you and lead and guide you through that. And he's trustworthy. I can say at 37, he is trustworthy. He's trustworthy. And there's hope, <laughs> there's joy, there's fulfillment in him. And, and that that transcends our relationship status in such cool ways and it makes our relationships more full so just continue to trust him if he's asking you to do something just respond in obedience because he's trustworthy thank you for listening today we'd love to connect with you beyond this podcast if you want more information about tcu chi alpha visit tcuxa.com god bless and go frogs <laughs>